Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Bottom Up Pod. Today, we have as our guest Ben Salzman, who is the VP of uh, Special Projects at Zoom Info. Ben is someone that we all got to know um, as one of the leaders of Dogpatch Advisors. So I'm excited to tell everyone about Dogpatch and the work that they did. Um, he paired up with a good friend of mine, Kyle Williams, to lead one of the leading um, go-to-market advisory firms. I thought of Dogpatch as like, you'd call them if you wanted to really build out and scale your outbound program and kind of have like a special forces attempt to uh, basically turn your outbound into science. So that's where we started to get to know each other. Um, and I think Clearbit and Dogpatch were really close, uh, had a really close relationship. And before starting Dogpatch, Ben worked at Oracle. Um, Ben, you were at Oracle starting like 2004, 2005. Is that right? Like yeah, OG right. tech sales. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, some of the people who were there since like, you know, 94 would quibble with that, but that, it felt early for me. No, I, I, I mean, that's, that's OG for me. I didn't sell uh, a SaaS deal until, until 2013. So yeah, you've been in the game for a long time after Oracle spent a, a close to, you know, four or five years at Google um, before working at Kahuna and then starting Dogpatch and uh, Zoom Info acquired Dogpatch recently, right? Is that is that okay to say publicly? Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> that's LinkedIn official. Yes, exactly. Cool. Well, I'm. We're really excited to uh, dig into your career journey a little bit and definitely talk about your experience. Uh, you know, scaling sales and and turning outbound into a science. And with me, as always, is our co-host Ryan Libster. Libster, would you like to say hi? Yeah. Hello, everyone, and, and Ben, uh, we've met from afar, but uh, been looking forward to this one for a while. I know you've worked very closely with a lot of my old colleagues, and uh, it's near and dear to my heart to think about making outbound scientific. Uh, so lots of, uh, lots of questions and uh, I think just experiences that our, our listeners are going to benefit from. So uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm pumped to be here. And uh, shout out to Mike Heller, our third co-host who just had a baby. I don't even, maybe we have to edit that out if he wants to protect that from uh, public knowledge, but Mike is a father all over again. Mike, if you're listening, which I know you probably are on your off day, uh, congratulations and wishing your family uh, a healthy next few weeks and uh, as much sleep as you can get. So Ben, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm really excited to kind of dig into your experience with Dogpatch. I'd love to just understand like how, you came to start Dogpatch with Kyle and kind of the insights that led you to that type of uh, company and, and building that type of partnership. But yeah, what did you observe in your career to that point that made you interested in outbound and, and how did you kind of start to understand this problem existed in the wild? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, I was lucky to grow up in the Bay area and sort of be around tech from a pretty early age. And a friend of mine's dad, a guy named Stu Silverman had a company called Sales Ramp, which basically was like Dogpatch in 2000. And they helped build inside sales teams, do sort of like win-loss analysis and a bunch of things that I really didn't understand very well, but I became a summer intern there my first summer between high school and college. And I was literally just cold calling people, trying to get them to do what we called market validation studies, but it was like an early stage startup, wanted to talk to potential buyers and hear what they had to say, why they might buy products. We'd cold call them. We'd pay them a $100 gift card to take an interview. 
and they would produce these studies and turn them into the company. Um, and it was basically, you know, sales advisory work. So I did that for about four years in college and sort of had an exposure to sales advisory before I even knew I cared about sales. So that's what got me into sales. Um, and then, you know, my time um, at Stiebel and at Oracle and Google were mostly in sort of operating roles. And I never saw myself as someone who would be an advisor or, you know, start a company like that. But when I was interviewing for jobs uh, after a startup went sideways, I, I just kept hearing the same things over and over again for every interview. So it was like you go in, you ask them how they think about go-to-market, what are they thinking about from a data perspective, how do they leverage that data to build their playbook. I mean, I was using different, all different terms and, and words at the time, right? But, you know, asking them basic questions around how they thought about go-to-market. And you kept hearing the same thing where it was sort of like, well, we give people lists and then they like call and they email and then like we give them another list and they do it again. And you just sort of like, wait a minute, was what I was doing at my last couple of companies with like using data to power large scale, like targeting, segmentation, content pivots, was that interesting? You like sort of ask yourself like, am I crazy? But then you like go in another interview and then another one and you hear the same thing. And I started to just turn these interviews instead of like, an interview for me to get the job. It was like, I was interviewing them to see like, is this really a problem at every last one of these startups? And when I heard it like 15 times in a row, I was like, there's gotta be something here. So that was really the start. And then, you know, I, I got into a couple of conversations with folks um, who I knew through friends or whatever. And one of them was like, Hey, um, how do we pay you for this? And I was like, uh, you know, it's like one of those like classic moments like, let me get right back to you on that. Like, I don't, I don't know. And then you're like on legal zoom later in the day, like naming the company coming up with like a bank account and like going back to him, like, okay, we're going to call it dog patch. Like I literally lived in the dog patch, looked out the window and was like, I'm just going to go with it. So, you know, it wasn't like this grand plan. It was really built on sort of organic demand and hearing a pattern over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of like, started at one night at 3am and like press launch on the website and that was it. Right. And the plan at the time was we are going to use data and some scalable methods to embed ourselves with different go to market orgs and just help them turn outbound pipeline generation into a science. Was that kind of the, the sales pitch? That was exactly it. Right. I mean, it was really early days for zoom info, clear bit, you know, the, the entire ecosystem of, data vendors, like there had been multiple iterations, right? I'm sure you all remember data.com and like Jigsaw, right? From way back in the day. Um, it's interesting because those companies had something real and like didn't do enough with it, right? That was, it was clearly a huge market, but there was sort of this like mini explosion of raw data that you could go and find about companies and people and technographics and signals. But people sort of thought of it as these very niche use cases, right? Like mostly people were looking for like one piece of data from these vendors. Like, oh, I just need email addresses. But I think what people had not yet considered is how many different avenues there were as an outlet for that data and how they could think about orchestrating that data to say like, okay, if we can know who all the companies are and who all the people are, and we know their tech stack, and we know things about what are going on within the company, and you can sort of piece those things together to get to the second order effects of like, here's what's happening in that company. I can talk to them about something in a sort of row by row or like very relevant way. 
it was what the best reps were already doing, but they were just clicking around the internet to go and find the data one at a time. So a lot of what, what became unlocked, and you know all this, you know, from your days at Clearbit, um, was like centralizing it and giving people access to it at scale and through APIs so that they could pump it into everything that they did, targeting, segmentation, content, inbound, sales, like engagement with customers. There was just like so many outlets for it. So that was it, you know, there wasn't some like brand plan around it, but it really just started with like finding a few companies who were like, I know there's ways to innovate on using data to go to market and help and trying to figure it out with them. What was, uh, and uh, Lipster, sorry for dominating the early no, part of the conversation here. I'm, I'm so interested in this piece. But what would you say was common about your early um, clients at Dogpatch? Was it like very clear use case, very clear ICP? Did you did you ever reject anyone for not fitting a certain bar? I guess I'm just curious, like what your early clients looked like and why they looked like that. Yeah, you know, I would say that the most common theme was like an innovative DNA, right? Like there was someone or multiple people who had a pension for figuring out new ways, new ways of doing things. And you could just sort of tell, like if you ended up in sort of a legacy type conversation where they're sort of like, they have all the wrong tools, they have a lot of sellers and ops people who kind of came from a more legacy mindset. Usually you could just qualify those out and just know like, they're not gonna buy what, what Doug Patch is talking about. So that was probably the main thing. If I look back, it was probably a combination between like the right stage, the right level of maturity. So you sort of wanted people who had got product market fit, had figured out inbound, but they knew inbound would eventually dry up and they were going to have to pivot and think about sort of like outbound and, and broad scale. So it was like, if you had data vendors, something like an outreach or a sales loft, right. Or, you know, some tool around outbound and you had the right, mix of DNA, sort of like B, C, D round companies. And Stripe was a perfect example of that, right? So Ryan, I know you have, you know, deep history there. Gene DeWitt, who's now the head of North America and really one of the early sales folks at, at Stripe was a perfect example of that, right? Like doing really well on bottoms up developer community, had an incredible brand, but knew they were going to have to eventually figure out how to scale outbound as well and wanted to sort of get ahead of it. So obviously like clearly have the DNA had a lot of the right tools, but that, that was sort of like the archetype example at the time. Yeah. One of the things, and, and maybe you can touch on this for how you did it with Stripe selfishly would be interested, but um, when you're starting to work these companies, what is your playbook for how to get up to speed very quickly. Like it's hard enough to do that when you start a new job, you're kind of doing that on steroids when you're working with multiple clients. So I'd love to hear what is your process for what, like how you identify where you can help and then what you start to, to put into action from there. Yeah, it's a great question. So first and foremost, I got a lot of guidance from, you know, old colleagues who I'd worked with in the sales advisory space, right? You've got to make sure you always do an audit. You know, there has to be a period where you have to like digest, present it back, document, deeply understand what's going on. So that's one thing. If, if there's folks out there who are thinking about doing consulting, advisory, et cetera, like you're tempted to go in and just give people the answers. It's super important to stay disciplined and like, no, we have a process for intake and we will spend a month like digging through the data, meeting with people, listening, documenting it, and really having like a repeatable framework for taking in 
that information. So that's one thing is like, you've got to have structure around it and make sure you, you really stick to that process. I see so many people get convinced by the customer, like, oh, don't worry about the audit. Like we already know that stuff. Like, let's just get into the answers. It never lands because you don't have the sort of like foundational principles around like, here's what we heard and here's what, what we should do with it. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is one way to get up to speed is to present some of the best people at the company with scenarios, like one-off scenarios, and figure out what they do with it. So there was a guy who I'm sure you know, Ryan, Daniel Saulsmith um, at Stripe. And he was like the perfect collaborator for these types of things because he was always willing to like get into a conference room, whiteboard it out, and like geek out on an example. And you know, one of the things that, that, that he did, we were sort of presented with a set of information like, Here's the scenario. Here's the exact person, right? Not like heads of sales or like, you know, oh, like, let's just imagine you're at a startup. It's like, no, like Mike Marg, like the individual who lives in San Francisco and works at Kraft. And here's the set of problems. Here's the tech stack. Here's like the exact scenario. What would you do with this? Like, show me your process. Show me how you would research it. Show me what you would do with this information. And we ended up sort of developing this framework called the manual to scale loop which was watch what they do for a single individual, a single company, and then see where it breaks when you back it out to other individuals at the same company or a completely different company altogether. And that where it breaks of like, you know, clearly like name and company name will break, but also like value propositions, what you asked for, the calls to action, all those sorts of things. Like you would watch the decision tree that would go off in their head. And that ends up being sort of the blueprint of how you back it into a scalable motion. So I'd say, those are two of the main things was like having a consistent and scalable audit process that you would do every time. And then, you know, second is like sitting down with the best reps and watching them do it for a single company and a single individual and trying to think about how that scales. There's also of course, like listening to calls, you know, meeting with the executives, trying to get as familiar as you could with the product, you know, you want to like dig deep and really understand the company, but that, that tended to work really well. And I still do that today. Like we did that when I joined zoom in, a few months back, that's exactly what I did. You sit down with the best 10 people and you show them a specific scenario and ask what they would do with it. And usually they don't know that they have it in their head, but they already have it ready to go. They just haven't like necessarily documented it or scaled it yet. I love that. The rigor that you would challenge them to really go through specifics. It's like, we're not just going to pick a random company or a title, but we're going to go through like the actual motions. Um, how would you handle situations when it didn't work and maybe specifically how it pertains to cold calling? Cause I know you were doing this at Dogbat from 2016 to 2022, probably around the time when there was a lot of resistance to picking up the phone. Uh, I'd love to hear maybe how you would instill the importance of doing it and uh, some successes and failures for, for trying to roll that out. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's two questions in there. One is like when it didn't work. And then second is really on the calling. On the didn't work part, the consistent thing that I found was when it didn't work, it was a company and a market problem. It was rarely a, you know, execution data, like playbook problem. It was like, always went back to like, your brand isn't landing with people. Like people don't want to talk about this. Or like there's another competitor in the space who's talking about it in a very different way. And there's always room for new you know, entrants to come in and do well, but like 
we were just trying to stay away from those as much as possible, right? Like half of it in advisor is like, don't pick bad companies. You can't save a bad company from being bad often. Um, you can, but it's hard. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, on the calling front, it's interesting. I've had a lot of undulations on this over time. So I started my career at Oracle in, in 2005, and I was responsible for placing 80 cold calls a day. And that was just the only way to do it at the time. You just call the main number, you try to navigate your way. So like, I got used to the idea of calling and tried to get good at it. But it was mostly because there wasn't a lot of email addresses around there and there wasn't systems to scale the email. It was just like what we had, right? So over time, when email addresses became more readily available and systems for scaling outbound email, I found it to be sort of just night and day of like, I can call one person at a time or I can email a thousand people at a time and people don't like calls as much as they used to. People are sitting on email all day. Like it became obvious to me that that was the way to scale it. And so I, I would say there was like a point between 2014 and like 17, 18, where I was very down on cold calling and would just openly poo poo it as like a thing people shouldn't even bother doing. And, you know, like most things, it's somewhere in between, right? Like you've got to figure out how to orchestrate all the data-driven targeting segmentation content and then layer in calls where it makes sense. So like the classic ways to think about that are like start with the people who opened your email but didn't reply or start with just calling people back who replied but said no and just ask them like a little bit more about why they said no. But I think now that I've seen it work really well at Zoom Info, like we have an incredible go-to-market engineer that is very reliant on calling, but partially because we handle centrally all of the orchestration for how to send and connect with people, that's done for them. So all they do is sort of stand on the shoulders of that centralized work. We already figure out all the targeting. We figure out all of what to say. We figure out, you know, all of the ways that we're going to build in exclusions and like, who do we not email, et cetera. And they're just layering on that human component, which is much harder to scale. So I think it's a, it's a balance. Um, I think if you sort of like had to choose, you want to make sure you can nail the really scalable stuff first before you try to do the unscalable stuff. Um, but yeah, my views on it have certainly been tested. And the one thing I'd say is like, when you're just cold calling and it's actually cold, like, that's hard, right? I always, I have this, I even bought a domain. I own warmcall.org, which I've mm-hmm. long threatened to turn into a thing. I have not yet done it. But like, I don't like cold calling. I like warm calling. Like, call people who are already familiar with your brand and have interacted with you in some way. And ideally, you have just a ton of data about the company, what that person's doing, what their tech stack looks like, what all the signals are, how many times have they been on their website, where they looked at then you just have a much fuller picture of what to say. So, you know, calling good, cold calling, like not necessarily good. So, so and true. Kind of remind me. Oh, God. It just, it reminds me of the work that you're doing, building out playbooks at Zoom Info. And I'd love to just better understand one, what is that initiative? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? And then, yeah, we'd just love to learn more about the specifics behind what you guys are shipping. Yeah. For sure. So um, last week, we sort of posted a couple of things on, on LinkedIn about it. It's really early days. We're going to do much more on this in the beginning of next year. But what go-to-market plays is all about is sort of crowdsourcing and publishing horizontally applicable plays that every B2B company 
should run and can run. And so in our estimation, there's something like 75 to 100 discrete concepts that involve a specific trigger that kicks off the play, like a thing happens in the world, a recipe or like a set of steps that bring together everything from like, how do you pull the companies? How do you pull the people? How do you enrich the data? How do you stage it? Like make sure that it, you know, all the work happens and then a workflow that actually goes and sort of takes it from a source, sends it to a destination and lands with at least some engagement with a customer. There's a lot of people who talk about like sales playbooks and things that are like more like injection handling or like a handbook for their sales team. I think that's a little bit different than sales plays, but I would think of that, that as that's sort of our definition for a play first and foremost, like a discrete end to end concept that any company could run. And so we, we published all of this, um, on, on our site, it's sort of zoominfo.com slash plays. You can go and basically filter by like, show me the stage, show me the difficulty, show me the channels. And most of these plays are things that can be done across, you know, inbound, outbound ads in your conversation intelligence tool and chat, right? Like it should be a cross channel thing. And really all of it comes back to the data foundation, right? So regardless of whether you're using zoominfo or not, this is a valuable, hopefully a valuable asset for people to sort of have an exhaustive view on like, what are all the things we can do? And so that could be simple things like targeting customers in your ICP, like they qualify for a certain criteria around the ICP, we should target them. And they could be more, you know, sort of nuanced things like we have an existing DocuSign or eSign out to a company how do we automate the process of having an exec come over the top and try to make a connection and make sure we're sort of doing everything towards the end? So there's a ton of, uh, of, of information on there about these plays. And what's exciting about this effort for us is, um, you know, in the early part of next year, we're going to make it so that you can go from the content site, click try it, and it will actually kick off the workflow and help you run the play on your own. Um, but again, we've tried to really make sure this is like an asset for the community that anyone can leverage. And it's not necessarily like has to be done on Zoom Info. It just has to be done. That's but nice. um, I was going to say, it seems like you have a library of plays. Like there's there's a bunch of them. And as a, you know, every company has their own go to market kind of DNA. Anyone can go in and figure out what are the plays that we should be running run with those and ignore the ones that don't fit. Is that kind of the idea of this like marketplace? It sounds like. It, exactly. And you know, there's going to be plays that are going to be less specific to each market and each company and some that will just like anyone should do. Right. So like intent targeting, like when someone is searching on intent for your product, whether they're on your website or some new signals happen in the market or, you know, your intent provider tells you like this company is surging, like you should contact them. That's, that's pretty obvious. Some of the other ones, you know, maybe, you know, an early stage company is not necessarily spending on ads, like pre-meeting ads air cover, which we think of as a play of like the trigger is a meeting is coming up. What do you do? You make sure that there's brand awareness, et cetera, ahead of that meeting. Like not every company necessarily needs to run that. Bigger companies should really be thinking about how to automate the process of, you know, building awareness. But yeah, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, a couple of, of things on that. One is have the luxury of sort of having an internal playbooks team that runs a lot of these scale motions for zoom info. So we learn a lot from the plays we run internally and try to tell the market about how we do it and that they should do it too, but also have the luxury of hearing from the entire market of the plays that they run. So there's this awesome feedback loop of like, 
you know, learning about a play that some company is running, trying to incorporate it into what we're doing internally, validate it, industrialize it, scale it up, and then the vice versa, where we'll do something internally and then tell the market about it. And, you know, to the, with a hat tip towards, you know, bottoms up, um, often these are things that the reps are already doing, right? So like your best rep, if you were like able to get inside their head, you can just find out your top 10 plays right away. Like you, they just know what to do when they wake up in the morning and think like, okay, like what, what's the first thing to do? Okay. I'm going to go check the website and see which people landed on which pages. And I'm going to target the persona who's most likely to be the one on that page. Like they're already doing that. Right. So that's like an example of like targeting website traffic. That's a play. Um, but a lot of companies have sort of like this local maximum that they get to of like five to seven sort of feels like the amount of plays that people tend to run before they're like, all right, like now I got too much stuff to do. I can't like, I'm not going to build out a playbook library. I'm just going to like do the thing I do over and over again. And so, you know, I would say I would encourage companies like take two steps back, write it all down. Like what plays are we actually running? What are all the data points that are required to power each one of these plays? Like, can we get access to that data? If we can't, Add it to our like attribute backlog of like things that we're trying to knock down and unlock these new attributes, which help open the door to running a, a new player, a next play like that. And so, you know, we probably run about 80 repeatable evergreen plays at Zoom Info. Every month they run, no matter what happens. And then we're constantly experimenting with sort of like 10 or 20 more a month. Companies should try to close that gap between the five to seven and the 80, like it's out there. It just takes a lot of work. I'm not super familiar with the, the plays that you have in the toolkit, but one that I was thinking about was just around hiring. I imagine you probably did some of this at Dogpatch and um, possibly uh, in the, uh, the repertoire at Zoom Info. Um, curious when you were meeting with execs and sales leaders, how you would think about uh, coaching the best way to, to run an interview loop or maybe some of the things that you would uh, want to make sure folks were looking for when they were actually growing their sales teams? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I think first of all, uh, companies should employ a lot of the taxes, the tactics that they use for go to market in their hiring process. Right. So like sometimes people think of it as like, Oh, it's more one-to-one. It's got to be bespoke, et cetera. Like you can still go about like large scale sourcing of data, staging it, reaching out, you know, hi, first name. I noticed your experience at placed and place two, you know, that leads me to believe that you probably have, you know, you know, this type of experience, we have some ideas for a role, right? Like it can be scaled. I think that's, that's one thing when you're actually getting into, you know, the hiring process and thinking about how to have a repeatable kind of playbook for, for hiring. I think one people, one thing people should do is sort of like, have people get into that workshop style mode where you present them with the scenarios and see what they would do with it. You can learn so much from, um, from sort of getting into a realistic, like, Hey, let's say someone comes in through this channel, you know, these seven things about them. They used to work at this company. Like how do you piece all that together to create a real insight for that customer? You can just learn so much about people's thought process. Even if you never press send or not ask them to actually like, you know, do any outreach around it. I just love having them do the job before they do the job, like get in a room, 
and like write the email, show me the kind of ad copy you would use. Like, what would you do after that? How would you nurture them? How would you set up the discovery call? So putting them in scenarios and like, don't be afraid to make it awkward. Like it's going to be, it's going to be, they're not going to have all the answers and that's okay. But it's like the thought process and how they puzzle through it can be, um, can be super interesting to learn from. It is funny how many interview loops don't really simulate doing the job. Uh, I think you're hitting on a, an important point. For sure. Yeah. I, I think there's uh, the hiring process at most companies is like, we just need to fill the seat. Person looks good enough. Like that's just a very expensive mistake to make. So I'm, I'm much more around like go really deep when you hire because it could be an expensive mistake. Totally Absolutely. agree. I mean, it, it is, it, it's super expensive to miss on a hire. It takes a long time to place that hire. You ramp them, starts to not work. You give them, I mean, it's just, it, it really is costly to not choose the right people. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's been such a war for talent that I understand why people take shortcuts, but the shortcuts are not to your advantage, to your point. Totally, totally agree. Ben, what other, I mean, it sounds like you would advise a modern go to market team to run plays. Like that seems like your high level advice is like be systematic, have evergreen plays that you can continuously run, figure out what plays work for you. Do you think that um, outbound like cold calling and personalized emailing are usually staples of the playbook? Like what are kind of your, your old faithful plays that you feel like are universal to all SaaS companies? Yeah, great question. So I think, um, First and foremost, the plays are the concepts and the sort of like end-to-end -end workflows. But underneath, you've got to nail a lot of the infrastructure and the underlying foundation to make the plays work, right? So if you just show up and you're like, we're going to do plays, you're going to quickly bump into things where like, all right, we don't actually know who to target uh, for these plays. Like, we don't actually know all the personas. We haven't really mapped out our technographics. We don't really understand all the signals. So one thing is, is that people should really invest in the underlying infrastructure of like the foundational data layer that's gonna be used to power the place. If you haven't figured out your target market and what are the attributes that make up a good customer and like, not just like the slide that's like, you know, Mike the marketer, right? Like that's the classic one is like, you pick a name that has some alliteration and you call it personas, like that's one thing, but it's much more important to like, okay, what are all the long tail titles that fit into this? How do we bucket senior versus junior? What would we say different to those people? How do we create repeatable queries that we can take off the shelf and expect the same audience across systems? Like if you're looking at LinkedIn or Zoom Info or another place, how do you tag personas in your CRM so people can run filters and searches and get a predictable audience? How do you use all that same infrastructure to, to do content pivots in your outbound, right? So like if you don't have all this stuff set up in the first place, your plays aren't going to be nearly as effective as they could be. So that's one thing I would say is like nail the underlying infrastructure while you're thinking about scaling your playbook. In terms of plays that like every company should run, you know, some of them are obvious. And I know you guys have a, a company in your portfolio, User Gems, who's really focused on, um, on essentially like champions left or external moves. That's a really powerful concept that most companies just fail to industrialize, right? So you've gone out, you've sold the person or company on your product, and then they left to go to a new company. Not because they hated your products, right? Or like that there's not a good customer. They just left. Like 30% of people change jobs every year. So it happens constantly. 
but most companies fail to invest in a repeatable industrialized motion for tracking those people down. And there's all these unique opportunities that are created with a play like that, right? So the basic play is someone changes jobs. That's the trigger. The recipe is go find out what their new title is. Go find out their new contact information. But what people sometimes forget is there's all this rich data behind the scenes that are like the second order effects of what's actually happening with that job change. So as an example, one of the things that we do is map all the technology stack from the previous company to the technology stack at the new company and look at the gap between that to better understand like what's going to be different about this person's role. And, you know, if it's the same exact stack, that's interesting. You can use that. If it's different, talking about those differences and being like thoughtful about it um, is really, it's really powerful. So that, that's one of just like, get people you've already sold to, right? Like you've done the hard work and the expensive work of acquiring them. All you got to do is tap them on the shoulder and remind them that they love your product. So especially for PLG companies out there who have like huge numbers of users, um, you know, Airtable is an example of a company that I worked in, in the past. Like when you email ex Airtable users at their new job, they're like, oh yeah, I do love Airtable. Like, great. Thank you for reminding me to do it. And they just need to be tapped on the shoulder. So, um, you know, that's one. Uh, I think another one that um, is super interesting that most companies don't really figure out is how to nail mapping all the content on your website to targeting, right? So like the average website has what, dozens or hundreds of pages. And a lot of people sort of think of like, oh, pricing page visits. Like if someone's on the pricing page, I'm going to target that company. Great. You should do that. That's like the lowest hanging fruit in B2B. Like that's real intent. But you've got all this other rich information across the site that you can really get to meaning around. So, okay, no stripes on the site. And I saw them on the site for this amount of time. And here's the path that they took. And here are the pages that they looked at. How do you like roll that up to an insight of like, Here's what to talk about based on the sort of permutation of all the things that they looked at. And, and a really, you know, sort of, I'd say step one of making that work is just like take every page on your site, sort it by the amount of traffic it gets and map the page to a specific persona who's the most likely person to be on it. Cause you know, the company who's on the site, you might not know the exact individual, but if you can get a little closer to like, okay, someone is looking at, our marketing like page for marketers. Like, why don't we just target marketers and reach out to them and make sure that the content that's in our outbound or our ads or our you know site personalization is mapped to what they've already seen, right? So like, that's an example of just like, you go a little farther and you map out all the infrastructure to think about like zeroing in on that. So I, I think those are, um, those are a couple that jump to mind. Love it. I think we're all, Lipster, do you have any closing questions? I know we're getting close to the hour on time, but anything I've else got, that you want to ask? I've got one more. It's courtesy of Heller. I know it's going to put a smile on his face when he listens to this. Um, so, Ben, you had a killer run as an operator. Then you started your own advisory firm, uh, sold it. Now you're operating again. Heller, and I think all of us would love to hear just kind of your favorite and least favorite parts of all things consulting. Mm, yeah. Um, favorite and least favorite. So my favorite part 
about consulting was that the learning loops happened so much faster because you got like a cross section of the market, right? Like I would probably talk to 150, 200 companies a year, right? For like six years. And you get that as a salesperson, certainly in your market, but you're looking at it through a lens of like your world. Like uh, I just need to sell them my product. So it's like, you don't really get a cross section of the market. You get like a cross section of buyers for your product. I got to see like good, bad, ugly, and see how some of the best companies, you know, were doing it and be able to pattern match, right? A lot like, you know, Mike, you're doing on the investing side, like you just get to see a lot of the market really quickly and you can draw conclusions much faster than someone operating in a, in a, in a normal role. It also means like you're talking to a lot of investors who give you insights. You talk to a lot of the sales tech vendors who give you insights. Like you just get to see a lot. That was probably the best part. The worst part, I think, is that it's kind of a lonely job, right? Like the the people on the other end who are receiving the consulting services, they're never going to be like, this is amazing. Take next week. Yeah, you you nailed this. Like, you know, uh, we're good. You know, you, you, they're not sending they're you like, to oh. the President's Club? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've never, you don't get that many thank yous, you get like a lot of like pushes to like, can you do a little more? Like, hey, this is good, but like, let's do more. So I think that's probably the hardest part. That's just the nature of it. And that's how exactly how I would be when I'm consuming advisory or consulting services too. So it's not, it's not bad, but it, uh, it, it's a little bit, I'd say thankless. And it doesn't mean we didn't have awesome customers, right? Like Stripe thanked us a million times and it was amazing to work with you all. But at the same time, like, when you're trying to renew, they're like, yeah, well, you know, you can do a little better next time. We're always <laughs> wanting to do so, that, That's probably my, my short answer on that. Ben, if people want to run this playbook that you've developed, where can they find it? Yeah, I mean, uh, one is hit me up anytime on LinkedIn or wherever, on Twitter or wherever, um, and I'm happy to talk to people about it. Yeah, if you go to zoominfo.com slash plays, you can see a collection of of plays and really this is like a living breathing thing right we're going to take suggestions of plays that people think are missing and should be added um you know if we think plays are are weak or don't work you know we'll take them down right like we're not saying that this is like set in stone um there's probably 50 or 100 ideas that have like yet to be put out there so yeah feel free to go check it out we also publish an air table of all of them so people can just like take it download it and, and use it at your company. And that's a big part of this effort. It's just like trying to create an asset for the community, not necessarily like has to be a Zoom info thing. Love it. Ben, thank you so much for joining the Bottom Up Pod. Um, one of the most knowledgeable go-to-market people I've ever spoken to. And it is really cool to kind of distill all your learnings from uh, the dog patch era as a super interesting perspective and your work at Zoom Info. You, I mean, every sales org uses Zoom Info and you get to iterate for a huge audience. So thank you for lending uh, your knowledge to the pod. Yeah, thank you all for having me. I have so much respect for what you all have built uh, in your previous operating roles. And I'm a huge fan of Kraft um, and especially of, of David Sachs's weekly podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. I didn't, I didn't get to thank you when I was at Stripe, so I'm going to thank you now. Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. This, this was a blast. I learned a ton. Um, so we, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.